welcome everyone again back to our first ever online service. Um, I'm excited to do, to, to do this, but also sad at the same time, you know, that we're not together. So we'll be keeping everyone updated on when we will be getting back together again. Uh, I hope it's soon, but let's just wait and see. But we've made it all the way to our very last fruit of the Spirit. We have been on this series called Be Like Christ. So the whole point of this series is live a life here on earth to be more like Jesus. And so we have gone through the past 10 weeks touching on first the introduction and then every single fruit of the Spirit and how not just one fruit should describe us, not just the one that we like the most, but it is the singular fruit of the Spirit. And so each and every one of these qualities, if we call ourselves a follower of Christ, should define who we are. People should be able to look at our life and say, hey, you know what? That is that person. They must be a follower of Jesus because they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And today we are talking about self-control. And I love that we end with self-control or that Paul ended his fruit of the spirit list with self-control. Because it is self-control is the way that we're going to have all these qualities in our life. Is if we decide to have self-control or not have self-control. So let's pray as we get started. Dear God, we just love you so much. Even during these crazy times, Lord, we are still the church. Nothing changes that. We are still the body of Christ, and you are still sovereign. And so we are so thankful that we are here today to worship, to learn about your word. I just ask God that you would speak to us, that you move mightily in our hearts, in our minds, draw us closer to you so we can be more transformed and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So if we're looking at the quality today of self-control, the first list that we have to look at is actually Paul's first list that he's going to write about. And that is found in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, this list is opposite of the list that we've been studying. This list is not the fruit of the Spirit, but it is the works of the flesh. And this is the qualities of that list. Paul wrote, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, decisions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this crazy list right here, what Paul is listing basically is a life that is out of control. Not a life of self-control, but it is a life out of control. Paul calls it the works of the flesh. So how do you and I live a life not giving into this list? Because here's the thing. Even though we are followers of Christ, right, once you accept Jesus into your heart, you receive his spirit. And so we have his spirit living in us. So even though we have his spirit living in us, we still have the flesh. So you and I always need to be careful because we are always susceptible to either list. We are always susceptible either to the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. So how do we go about this? Who wins? Well, Paul gives us that answer in Galatians 5.16. In Galatians 5.16, Paul wrote, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify that evil list, right, 
but vice versa. The opposite is true as well. If you walk by the flesh, well then guess what? We will not gratify the desires of the spirit either. You see, only one's going to win. Jesus will say these words. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't do it. Either the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. Only one's going to happen. Only one's going to happen. And Paul says that the answer is walk by the spirit. The answer is not having a perfect Sunday attendance. The answer is not being holier than thou. The answer is not I read through my Bible once a year, every year, and I'm the perfect Christian. That is not the answer. Those are all wonderful things, but the answer is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit living inside of you is the answer. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit wants to be our self-control. Don't we feel like that sometimes? Like, man, you know, like, I just can't control it. How many times have we thought that or said that? I just can't control it. I just can't control my thoughts. I just can't control, you know, lashing out at my sister. I just can't control these things, right? I can't control it. The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can control it. The Holy Spirit wants to be our self control. And this is why it's so important. Paul also says this in Galatians 5:17. He says, "For the desires of the flesh are against the spirits, and desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do." So, if we're going to have this battle, this tug of war for the rest of our life of the flesh and the spirits, here is the answer. Are we going to live a life of out of control or live a life of self-control? That's the question. The answer is self-control or out of control. Now, I want to look at an example in Scripture with you guys of out of control behavior. Okay? And this comes from King David. And at this point in King David's life, he has experienced God in incredible ways. He has seen God move in mighty ways already. And now, here is King David. And he's going to go to the top of his palace one morning. He's going to, you know, stretch and just walk around. And then in the distance, he's going to see Bathsheba bathing. Now, here's David's moment. All right. Is David going to show self-control or is King David going to be out of control? Well, King David takes this glance and this glance turns into desires. And these desires turn into actions. I remember being a youth group growing up, and my youth pastor tell me one time, he, and he said something like this, saying, you know, Mikey, it's not the first look, talking about, you know, of course, guys looking at girls, checking them out. He said, hey, it's not the first look that's going to get you. It's the second look. And what he meant by that is, you know, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, you know, we can't help what we first see. Right, because we're just looking around and, oh, shoot, there's someone wearing something they shouldn't be wearing, right? Or you turn on the TV and, oh, shoot, there's something right on the TV that caught your attention. It's not the first look that's going to get us. But he said it's that second look. You deciding not to show self-control and be out of control. So David is going to be out of control. And what is this out-of-control behavior going to lead to? Him sleeping with Bathsheba. And this out-of-control behavior is going to lead to this, to David ordering the husband of Bathsheba to be killed on the battlefield. It's going to lead to the death of the child between Bathsheba and David. And then it's going to lead to the prophet going to David and telling him, 
the sword is never going to depart from your house. Because of what you just did, the consequences of this out-of-control behavior is that the sword is never going to depart from your house. And you know, three of David's own children, his own sons, will die by the sword. You see, when we live a life not exercising self-control, but when we live a life out of control, there will always be consequences. Out of control leads to destruction. Out of control leads to destruction. You know, I think of uh, when I was younger and I was driving, and my wife will uh, attest to this, um, you know, when I was younger, I wasn't a reckless driver, but I wouldn't say that I was in control either of driving. You know, I would get distracted easily sometimes. You know, I'd, uh, I wouldn't have my hands on 10 and 2, kind of do my own things. And I was in a lot of accidents when I was younger. When I was younger, it's been years and years and years since my last accident, okay. But when I was younger, um, I did not show a lot of self-control driving, and my insurance paid for it, right. There were consequences for being out of control. And now I think of my dad, right. My dad, now I know that he was in a serious accident when he was younger, and that has really shaped who he is today, but also... In my lifetime, you know, being close to my mid-30s now, in my lifetime, my dad, I have never witnessed him have a ticket. I have never witnessed him be in an accident of any kind. You know why? When I see my dad driving, even to this day, when I see my dad driving, it is 10 and 2 all the time. That phone doesn't exist. He is checking his mirrors constantly. He is focused he is in control. He is showing self-control. And guess what? His consequences is that his insurance hasn't taken a hit. It hasn't, uh, you know, he hasn't gone through multiple cars because of accidents or anything like that. He has shown control. In James 1.19, it says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is wise advice from James here of how you and I can show self-control. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I think to myself, in my life, how many times have I messed that up? Think right now to yourself, how many times have you messed that up? How many times have you not been quick to listen? How many times have you been slow to listen? How many times have you been quick to speak? How many times have you been quick to become angry? And now think about what have the consequences been for those actions. David was facing those consequences. This man of God was facing those consequences of out-of-control behavior. Right now, you might be in a, facing some type of consequence for, for showing out-of-control behavior, for not showing self-control. You might be in that consequence right now. But I need to let you know, though, that your story does not have to end there. Your story does not end there. Even though David is in this reality, he is in the, the reality of the sword never departing from his house. And he is facing those consequences. But that doesn't change the fact that David is still in history known as the man after God's own heart. It doesn't change that. That is what he is known for. And so wherever you are today, even though if you're honest with yourself, you're saying, you know what, yeah, I have shown some out-of-control behavior. 
and I'm facing those consequences right now, or maybe I have faced those consequences, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. That doesn't have to be the end of your story. Now I want to look at another piece of scripture of self-control with you. In Genesis chapter 39, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And Joseph, at this time in his life, has already been sold into slavery by his own brothers. And he has gone into the house of a high official guard in Egypt, Potiphar. And he has found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. And now he runs that house. He runs Potiphar's house. And this is what is going to happen to Joseph. It says that Potiphar's wife saw Joseph and saw how handsome he was, saw how well-built he was, and that, he, and, that, and that she wanted to sleep with Joseph. So very similar situation to King David. Now what is Joseph going to do? What is Joseph going to do? How is he going to respond? Is Joseph going to show self-control or is he going to show lack of control? Well, Genesis 39.9 says this. This is Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I love that response by Joseph. Joseph chooses to show self-control in this situation. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? How could I sin against God? You know, I pray that that will be my response whenever I'm faced with any type of temptation. Whenever we are faced with any type of temptation that we'll think God has been so good to me. And think about where Joseph is right now. Joseph isn't, you know, ruling the world. He is a slave. He has done nothing but follow after God and what God has put on his heart. And where has that gotten him? He is a slave right now. And he says, how can I sin against God? So I pray that wherever we find ourselves, even if we think that we're in a bad place right now, that we're not where God wants us to be or we're not where we want to be, that no matter where we find ourselves, that when, tem that when temptation comes, we're going to say, after all God has done for me, after all the grace God has shown on my life, after how much God has loved me, how could I sin against him? And we'll show self-control in those moments. It doesn't end there for Joseph, though. You know that? It doesn't end there. It says that Potiphar's wife will come at Joseph day after day, tempting him to sleep with her. She doesn't stop. And this is what's going to happen next in Genesis 39, 11, and 12. It says this, one day, Joseph... He went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. It was one of those, it's quiet around here, a little too quiet moments, right? So nobody's inside. It's just Joseph in there. And then it says, Potiphar's wife caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out the house. I love that. Again, here is Joseph. Nobody's there. Nobody would know what went down. But yet Joseph, again, is thinking, how could I sin against my God? And I love it because when words aren't enough, when the temptation now gets physical, guess what? Joseph gets physical. He physically takes off his cloak in her hand, and he physically runs out that house. Man, I pray that you and I will have that type of self-control, that we'll speak it, and then guess what? When that temptation gets even stronger, even stronger, that we'll get physical and we'll straight up run out. 
we'll, so we'll run away from that temptation, that we will have that type of self-control. Now, what was Joseph's reward for showing this great self-control? His reward was prison. What? His reward was prison. It says that Potiphar's wife is going to go to Potiphar and make up a lie that Joseph tried to sleep with her. And so Potiphar's going to send him to prison. And doesn't it feel like that sometimes in our life? Here we are trying to do right, trying to do the right thing, trying to show self-control. And it looks like we're just moving backwards in life. It feels like that sometimes. But let's look back at David's consequence real fast. David, who didn't show self-control, but showed lack of control, his consequence in 2 Samuel 12.10 was when, again, the prophet told him that the sword would never depart from his house. It would never depart from his house. That is the consequence of lack of control. Joseph's consequence was prison. But guess what? That's not where his story ended. In prison, Joseph could have went off the deep end, right? He, Joseph could have said, you know what? Forget this. I am done trying to show uh, God a self-control here. I am done trying to live a life of self-control and honor God with my life. Where has it got me? It got me into slavery. It's got me into prison. He could have gone off the deep end, you know, join a gang, you know what I mean, just become a murderer, I don't know. He could have just lost it all right there. But even in prison, Joseph shows self-control and says that he rises to, the, to just to run that prison. And then guess what, eventually Joseph, his consequence for living a life of self-control, he's going to become second in command of all of Egypt. Everything that God spoke to Joseph is going to come to pass. And see, that's it. When we show a lack of control, our consequence, what is our sword never departing from our house? It's our kids seeing our out-of-control behavior and them growing up to imitate it. It's the younger generation looking at our out-of-control behavior and then following that. But when we show self-control, man, we are saying that our kids is going to see what is right. Our kids are going to see a life of integrity, a life that says, I live to honor God. When we show self-control, we are saying, I believe God will come through for me. Not on my time, but on his time. Just like he did for Joseph. I'm going to conclude here. So how do we become this person that shows a life of self-control. How do we become that person? It goes back to Paul's letter to the Galatians and how he summed up that letter. There's two basic things that you and I have to decide every single day. Two things. Number one is this, say no to the flesh. Every day we need to intentionally decide to say no to the flesh. In Galatians 5.24, Paul wrote, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Paul uses strong language here. He says, if you say yes to Jesus, that means you have crucified your flesh. It doesn't mean that you say yes to Jesus and then, you know, when I feel like it, when I'm comfortable, uh, when I have the goosebumps again, then I'll crucify my flesh. No, no, no. Paul is saying, when you say yes to Jesus, you know what you signed up for. 
you're saying, my flesh is dead. Those passions, those desires, they might rise up, but I'm going to rebuke them. I'm, I'm going to say no to them. I will say no to things that do not honor God, and I will say yes to things that do honor him. And it also means this, the second thing. It means that I will, in order to show a life of self-control, we say no to the flesh, but we also say yes to the spirits. Say yes to the spirit. In Galatians 5.25, it says this, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirits. Say yes to the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. I love this language here because Paul is using a, a military metaphor here. Right? He's saying that if, if we're going to say yes to the Spirit, how do we say yes to the Spirit? We stay in step with the Spirit. We stay in step with the Spirit. You see, when you go to boot camp, the first thing you do at boot camp is learn to march. You learn to march at boot camp. Why? So that you have everything in control, so that you look like you are all in unison, look like you guys have it down, look like you're squared away. And how do you stay in cadence while you're marching as a soldier? How do you stay in cadence? There's somebody calling the cadence. There's someone calling the cadence. So when someone calls the cadence, it helps you stay in step as you're marching. So when we say yes to Jesus, how do we stay in step with the Spirit like Paul wrote about? We acknowledge that we don't call the shots anymore. We don't call the shots anymore of our own life. We don't march to the cadence of this world. We don't march to the cadence of the culture. We don't march to the cadence of the news. But we're saying that we are going to march to the cadence of the Holy Spirit. That what it says in his word, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to live for. It means that we're going to march to the step of the Holy Spirit, to his cadence in our life. I just want us to remember as I close this all up, this entire series, these past 10 weeks of living a life being filled with the Spirit, where the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of who lives inside of us, where our life is going to be a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all that stuff, that all this is only going to be possible when we abide in the Father. It's not possible through us, but it's possible through the one who already is all of these qualities. We are not these qualities. We don't have it in us, but when we have the Spirit living in us and then we are abiding to the Father, we are abiding to who He is, then it says He will abide in us. And that is when we can live the fruit of the Spirit. And that's when, like what John Stott said, if you remember the very first week of this, John Stott prayed a prayer every single morning saying, Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me up today so that your fruit will ripen in my life. And it says that those who knew John Stott, when he had passed away, those who personally knew him, said that he lived a life more like Jesus than anyone they ever knew. I pray that we will realize that that is what our goal is here on earth, to live a life like Jesus. Because when we are doing that, that means the gospel is going to be spreading. It's going to be spreading to our family. It's going to be spreading to our workplace. It's going to be spreading to our community. There's going to be impact upon impact upon impact. Generation after generation. 
when we decide to live a life to say, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit today. Let your, let your fruit ripen in my life today. So I pray that we'll do that in Jesus' name. We'll make that our goal individually and our goal as a church. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord God, that we can live this life because this is who you are. And you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to conquer death and raise again so that anyone that believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life is through your spirit, your spirit that now lives in us when we say yes to you. So I pray, Lord God, this that we will be just abide in you with everything we have every day. And every day, Lord God, we will intentionally decide to say, I'm going to say no to my flesh and yes to the Spirit. That every day we will decide that whenever temptation comes our way, we will show self-control through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We thank you so much, Lord God, that this is what you want for us, to experience life and life abundantly. It's when we say yes to you and no to our flesh. So we say yes to you. We say yes to you, God. We say yes to you as a church. We say yes to you as a body, especially during this season, during these crazy times. We say no to the flesh, to, to a fear, to anxiety, to all those things breathing down our neck. And we say yes to you. We say yes to your fruit of the Spirit. Let that define who we are, nothing else. Not culture, not the news. But let that define who we are as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.